You are listening to the Enormocast. The Royal We here at the Enormocast want you, dear listener, to know that while making some of the best and most reliable climbing gear in the world, Black Diamond is also supporting the climbing community in many bold and generous ways. Of course, Black Diamond supports big players like the Access Fund, but also littler crews like the Salt Lake Climbers Alliance. That support can look like wads of cash, amplifying an org's messages, lobbying politicians, or taking stands against billion-dollar boulder-destroying gondola projects. Basically, it's Black Diamond pushing their weight around to protect access. And the climbers at BD have not just talked the talk with BIPOC climbers, but partnered with Climbers for Change to offer Jim to Craig grants to underserved communities. They have joined with the AMGA to offer SPI and Rock Guide scholarships that include door-to-door funding for participants. BD also supports other affinity groups, including Memphis Rocks, the Adaptive Climbing Group, and She Moves Mountains. And the environmental orgs they support are too many to list here. So if you want to know how the folks at Black Diamond are walking the walk for the community, go to blackdiamondequipment.com and search under About Us for more information on where they're helping out. And maybe make a suggestion or get involved yourself. Well, howdy, partners. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm a Yeti Yonder water bottle, and I hold the very key to life right here in my belly. That's right, water. Hydration. Why, without my tasty preference, you'd have popped your clogs long ago, buckaroo. Now you might say, well, big deal. I got my own skanky big mouth scuzz bucket water bottle clipped to my pack right here. And I'd ask you one simple question. How many holes does your water bottle have? You see, most water bottles either got one big hole that makes the water dribble down your chin when your buddy gleefully taps the brakes while you're swilling, or one small hole that makes it nearly impossible to dump in your electrolyte protein drinkable veggies or whatever other snake oil you think might make you climb harder. That's right, I'm a Yeti Yonder water bottle. I'm lightweight, made from 50% recycled BPA-free plastic, and here's the kicker. I got two holes, one for filling one for drinking. Check me out at yeti.com or your favorite local outdoor retailer and see the magic for yourself. All right, I got to giddy up. Be well, drink well with a Yonder Water Bottle from Yeti. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the... Uh... The Normo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place, that side of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. We really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Time and Equipment, La Sportiva, and with support from Maxim Ropes. Maxim has been keeping the normal cast off the deck since 2012. And now we can also thank the chill folks at Yeti. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and entry Normo at checkout to get a great deal on great coffee and to support the Enormacast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is 
October 11th, about 12.30 p.m. 2023 here in Colorado, and this is episode 272 of the Enormacast, a conversation with Phenom, well, former Phenom, he's 20, oh, now he's like just aging out of Phenom land, but anyway, Connor Herson, that's who we're talking to today, Connor Herson, fresh off of just destroying Squamish this summer, and I'm down in my basement. Well, it's not really a basement. I live in a split level. I'm about four feet into the ground and (laughs) one foot in the grave, if you will. And it's tea tea time. It's tea weather. It's a little chilly here in Colorado. But I'll tell you, the weather has been amazing here in Colorado. October, I mean, is there a better month in North America to go climbing? Anywhere in North America? I mean, it's pretty awesome. I know it's getting maybe a little cold up there in Canada, but you all would rather be ice climbing anyway. So it's probably getting frosty enough for that up there. But anyway, yeah, pretty sick month. I'm going to give you guys a pro tip. Like I like tea as much as the next person, but I'll tell you what the best hot liquid, whether you're skiing or you're climbing or you're on the long approach to nowhere, also known as hiking, the best hot liquid to have in your thermos bottle thing. Yeti makes a nice one. I had one of those before I was turned on to Yonder, or turned on by Yonder, as the case may be. I don't know what it's called, but it has two holes. It also has two holes. But yeah, you fill that thing up with bouillon, not tea, hot bouillon, like chicken, beef, vegetable bouillon if you're not into the meat. So much more hearty than tea. It has salt also known as electrolytes. It has a little bit of fat in it, a little bit of oomph to fill you up with some calories. And I know tea hydrates maybe a little bit better, but I tell you, bouillon packs a better wallop if you're trying to stay warm. Belaying, climbing, whatever it is. So there you go, pro tip. Been turning my friends onto this for years, and they thank me for the hot, salty deliciousness that is bouillon. And by the way, Big Bouillon did not pay for this ad, okay? The Bouillon Council. I don't know those people. I swear to you. I'm going to have some Bouillon running at the Michigan Ice Festival this year, February 7th to the 11th. Get your tickets, michiganicefest.com. I'm running sneaky promos everywhere in here. My influencer game's on point. All right, Connor Herson. What's he influencing? He's influencing us all to feel like we suck at climbing. <laughs> <laughs> Almost all of us suck at climbing compared to Connor Herson. Sorry. <laughs> just it's just a fact. Yeah, Connor Herson, son of Jim Herson. You may have you may remember Connor from free climbing the nose on El Capitan. I think he was the sixth person to do it, maybe the seventh, can't remember. But he uh yeah, he was only fifteen. Pretty fun. We reflect on that. And then I try to like badger him into admitting that climbing is easy for him but he insists that it does take some level of struggle. But man, I don't know. Even after an hour-long interview, I don't know if I buy it. See if you guys buy it. But he's a nice kid, 20 years old. That's still a kid to me. He's also sort of the new trad phenom superstar that we often look for on the horizon. You know, trad in that modern sense of placing gear. Not necessarily trad in the ground-up scary sense. He also coincidentally happens to be my sponsorship sweet spot, a Maxim Sportiva BD kid. 
None of those people forced me to talk to Connor Herson, though. Nobody has to force me to talk to this kid. He's super nice. He's so polite. I kind of love him. All right. Let's get to a combo with Connor Herson. Hey, guys. It's me again. That's right. Your toes. And I'll tell you, if there's one thing us toes hate more than ice climbing, it's crack climbing. So if you got to do it, and I know you got to, then Sportiva has some cool choices for you to climb hard and still give us toes a smooth ride. Of course, the venerable TC Pro. Can't be beat on those bigger crack sizes and multi-pitch trad. But what about the thin stuff? Well, and I don't even think Sportiva knows this. The Kubo. That's right, I said it. The Kubo is Sportiva's ultra-comfortable all-arounder, but it also happens to be a thin, crack, ultra-tech super shoe. More support than a slipper, but just enough rubber and all the right places to get in and get on with the type of jamming you need on the thin stuff. Don't believe me? Then buy the Kubo for its edging, smearing, and comfort that's like a hug from a warm, fuzzy puppy. You know, if a puppy had arms and wasn't one of them stupid ones that eats poop. And then give them a fling on your thin crack project. You'll come around to the Kubo, or my name isn't... A what? Oh, <laughs> we're late for our pedicure. Okay, I gotta go. But check out the Kubo and all the other great shoes at Sportiva.com or your local shop. And of course, tell them your toes sent you. We have this archived timepiece from when you were 15 um, yeah. over at the runout. You know, everybody who's watched you climb and watched your sort of career, as it were, um, I mean, it has sort of become a career, you know, have just watched this sort of like meteoric kind of rise in this kid's abilities. And, but that, that little timepiece really was a kid. Like you were, your voice was completely different. Your, your sort of rapport hadn't really been refined yet. Um, it was a really kind of funny uh, interview on, on our part too, because, you know, it was like two crusty old dudes talking to this like 15 year old phenom. But do you remember that, I, that I uh, moment or that conversation at all? That was pretty crazy. Cause I don't know, I guess the nose just like, I feel like, you know, I, I was, like kind of a few people knew who I was, but then it wasn't mm-hmm. much. And then I did the nose and just like, it was just like instantly kind of crazy. And that was like, I think, I think it was like less than a week after that I did that interview. Uh-huh. Um, it might've even been like the day or two after I got back home and it was just like a little hectic. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny. I mean, you know, you got to understand like the, the cool thing I think that goes with that ascent and, and it's not uncommon in climbing, but you know, it's just kind of like you, you sort of smashed a little bit of, uh, you know, of the mythology or the reputation or whatever around a route like that. And everybody has to, has to kind of reevaluate, I think not, not really the route, but sort of how we talk about it or how we look at it. And, you know, that's happened in the nose a lot, right? It's, it's, you know, got the one day ascent in this, uh, seventies and then it's been knocked all the way down. And yours, yours was another little notch in that. That was kind of interesting. And, and I just love it because it, it's, it's a, I mean, you didn't do it for this reason, I'm sure, but it is a, it's sort of a humbling experience for all the rest of us in a lot of ways to be like, wow, that kid just did that. And he seemed to kind of do it a little bit casually, at least not really in effort, but in terms of like talking about how you did it on the weekends between school and stuff like that. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about reflecting on that ascent. Uh, where it's fit in your career did you try to downplay it in your head and 
Um, it keeps coming back at you. What are your thoughts on doing the nose when you were 15? Yeah, um, it's definitely interesting to see like how that's changed over time because at the time it was just such an abrupt, you know, I was like, people started recognizing me at the crag and it was really weird. And I think there was this quote um, in the recent Sportiva film that came out um, mm -hmm. where my dad said, like, he's not going to top that. The nose at 15, you can't top that. Yeah, yeah, um, I just was watching of, clips like, of that an achievement. And, and heard that bit. Yeah, and I mean, I think to some extent that is true. Like, I'll do climbs that are more meaningful for me and harder for me, but in terms of, like, you know, public perception, that's, you know, I'm not going to equal that. And, you know, it is kind of nice in a way also just to kind of be able to climb for myself and do my own thing. And then at the same time, it's interesting because I guess what makes the nose kind of unique for an El Cap route is that it really only has two hard pitches. So, mm -hmm. you know, free climbing the nose, for instance, is, I'm guessing, a lot easier than free climbing like Magic Mushroom or Dihedral Wall, which get the same grade on paper, but there's just so many more hard pitches. So even in terms of hard El Cap climbing, I mean, the only other route I freed on El Cap is the Salathe. And, you know, it's not exactly what I expected. Like, when I did the nose, I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to do all these other reads immediately. But it's definitely in the few years since then, it's kind of forced me to reflect like, oh, okay, this is where I am. You know, the nose, I really did put a lot of effort into that. I have to put at least that much effort in if I want to do something else like that. And I think just recognizing that, it's been kind of cool though. Yeah, you went and did the Salte, which which has a certain amount of um, meaning that your dad had, had done an early free ascent of the Salate wall. That one... um, I mean, I tried it previously, but really it was just a weather window in June came up, which is pretty rare for the valley. And we were like, well, let's go for something in the South is a cool route. And my dad knows all the beta for it. So sure. it made sense to go do that. He has a tendency to go get on that route. And I guess he just dragged me into it. Oh, really? <laughs> nah, <laughs> but it was cool. Okay, I could use all his beta. Yeah, totally. And did you do pitch 19? Of course. <laughs> i'm not sure i'd be sitting here like in my parents house if i'd done pitch 19 or if i'd not done pitch 19 and then claimed to free a set of the salafe <laughs> that's so <Yeah>. awesome <laughs> your pegs would be packed and sitting on the doorstep and your dad just looking out the side window like shaking his head <laughs> well i don't think he would mind if i like didn't do pitch 19 but then was like you know i freed El cap or something but i think just taking the salafe and then Right, right. Yeah. That. You I had it done the NAS asterisk that you explained every single time you brought it up. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, I just had to bring it up. It's, um, it's actually, Pitch 19 has been trademarked by the Run Out podcast, so yeah, we can't talk about it anymore without, be without treading into, like, I, I think I texted you that I would have to sue myself if we keep <laughs> talking about it, but um, I don't want to go down that road here, but uh, people can go check out the Pitch 19 endless debates. Uh, Basically, between me and no one else um, <laughs> on, on the run out about the pitch 19 of the South Bay Wall. So, and endless um, lore. Yeah, endless lore, exactly. Um, it, does, it does feel a little bit endless. But yeah, so I mean, you know, again, this like prodigy thing can be thrown around with you. Um, but your whole family has been on this, you know, this track of climbing. Your folks met climbing, fell in love climbing. You know, had you have an older sister who climbs. And you were brought along on that path. And a lot of people get in touch with me or there's debates or, or talk about, well, you know, I've got these kids, like, how am I going to interest them in climbing? You can't force it. You can't, you just got to present it, or maybe you can try to force it, but talk about a little bit about that, 
legacy and um you know if you if you have sort of insight now that you're 20 about the do's and don'ts or what your folks you think did right about um interesting you in climbing how did you get sort of brought along on it it's interesting i feel like that would almost be a better question to ask my parents um, right because a lot of it you know a lot of probably the really important things happened you know before your dad I really is, has repeated your dad has repeatedly yeah. ducked my um attempts to to get him to talk to me so uh, okay then <laughs> <laughs> a few texts <laughs> correcting I'll, me <laughs> I'll, I'll keep working on it okay um but but yeah i mean i think a lot of it was like yeah at first i wasn't that psyched but eventually i just got psyched on my own um and i think that was kind of key and you know a lot of it was like i remember for the competitions i saw that my sister was competing and i thought that looked fun and you know the next year i signed up and or convinced my parents to sign me up mm-hmm. um and yeah i think really what's been key for me is that it's kind of been my own thing even though it's the same thing my parents do i feel like for me like pursuing climbing it feels it feels like it's it's my own hobby it's not like something that was imposed upon me mm-hmm. and i feel like i kind of took it up of my own accord and you know, I was thinking like if I had been raised in a different circumstance, but in different circumstances by different people, you know, if I'd been exposed to climbing, I probably would have gotten into climbing. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least I'd like to think so. And I think that was kind of key that it, it really just my own hobby. I tried other things like I, you know, I ran cross country for a while, still enjoy running. And even when I was like a lot younger in middle school, I think I might have been on like the soccer team, like you know, did a bunch of other things. I was like, you know, like tried some music stuff, tried out, tried out a lot of things, but climbing is just what clicked for me. And I think the whole time I just felt like I had the option of like, well, I don't have to climb if I don't want to, but I do want to, so I'm going to climb. Well, one of the interesting things too is, you know, and I, I kind of follow trends in this, just by the nature of this podcast is you, mm-hmm. you kind of follow trends. And one thing I think that's interesting is you had this, you did have this gym background, which is, you know, sort of forgotten in a lot of ways because of this like whole push towards traditional climbing, which is also funny because you're also this, you know, very, very avid sport climber as well. I mean, doing, you know, 55, 14, some of which were trad, but a lot of which were sport um, by the time you were 18, stuff like that. There's also this gym background. I mean, you were a gym rat of, of a certain level as um, also a competition climber of a certain level. You know, you were interested in that. But one of the things that I remember seeing your name the first before the nose and all that, you know, where your dad's passed along trip reports um, on his own website, but then also they'd get they'd get knocked over to to um, to Super Taco and and the whole thing. And so I remember reading those. And and one of the things that struck me was like you and your sister climbing together um, seemed really cool. And there was all these these shots of looking down at the two of you with like these giant helmets on and you know, one after the other on a rope or in doing some really big, like wild adventurous stuff. So yeah, tell me a little bit about like, you know, the first time or the first few times him getting you high up off the ground. Was it, was it always exciting? Did he have to, you know, did he have to put gummy bears on the holds? You know, what, what were his tactics to get uh, a couple pretty young kids that high off the ground and, and, and on those adventures? I mean, I'm not going to pretend there weren't gummy bears involved, um, but I, I I think for me, that's, that's just sort good of, parenting. Exactly. For me, that's sort of a good climb. That's sort of like long day, like adventure climbing where it's just, 
you kind of like, you know, achieving this peak instead of like trying to do a hard climb. That appealed mm-hmm. to me way before like gym climbing or anything. So, I mean, I think my first multi-pitch was Hermaphrodite Flake in Tuolumne. Um, and then my second multi-pitch was Hold This Horror, also in Tuolumne. And, you know, you get to climb these domes and it's, it's just fun. You know, it's definitely not the hardest climb, neither of them. Um, although I do think my mom had to boost me through the crux of Hold This Horror. Um, how old but, were you? Do you remember? Not exactly. Maybe four or five. Um, <laughs> but that, that kind of stuff, you know, that, that was really early on. And then it was just kind of slowly working up bigger and bigger things and kind of, you know, getting psyched on like, Oh, I want to climb that because, it's so easy to just look at a peak and think, oh, I want to be on top of that. Um, and I think it's way easier to do that than it is to like, you know, look at some boulder and be like, oh, I want to follow this line of crimps up it. Um, and I think that might be why it appealed to me so much mm-hmm. earlier. And yeah, it was just cool. It was just fun. And uh, yeah, I know I did Cathedral Peak and Snake Dyke both when I was eight. I, I did Half Dome when I was 12. And then uh, my first nose in a day was I was, thir- was when I was 13. And that's all, that was with your dad as well? Yeah, all, all those were with my dad. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, pr- that's pretty rad, that the nose in a day at 13. That was a fun day. It was, it was cool. It was actually that day, like I was following in the 12D stemming corner right above Camp 5. I guess it's not really a stemming corner, but the glowering spot pitch, I actually, that ascent, I think I flashed it on top rope, um, like with a pack and like cleaning all the gear, which was, <laughs> it was just fun. I mean, honestly, that might've been like the first inkling that like, oh, maybe I can free all cap. <laughs> right on at 13. That's amazing. Had you climbed it before you did it in a day? Had you done Oh, like that, that was my first on? time doing it. Oh, okay. I think my first time actually spending multiple days on a wall was when I freed it. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing that like, I think everybody kind of, wants to know or like i mean it's unknowable but um try to want to tease out you know is sometimes like why are you so damn good at this you know like is it you know is it because everybody is it training like what's your training resume or what's your your approach or what's your psychology but i just it just is is kind of this fascinating thing and like i said i've I've watched you since before you became you know quote-unquote famous for the for the nose um of just like stuff like that where it just seems like it came pretty easy to you but does that does that it's kind of um that kind of uh, uh characterization like annoy you because you've you've secretly you know you secretly struggle or you know were there times where you were like wow this this is my thing and i i seem to be you know pretty good at this like where do you where do you have that 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 line between work and humility and and like um hot damn i'm 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 like pretty good at this sport um i think i guess i mean your dad probably helps out with the yeah yeah part, i mean but. that was kind of where i was gonna first go with the answer um which yeah i feel like there are kind of two main answers i guess the first of which is a lot of it is just access right like not a lot of say 13 year olds have a parent that would you know put in the time to go take them uphill cap or um a lot of them don't have you know a whole childhood of climbing progressively larger and larger peak. I think there are quite a few four-year-olds who would be able to do hermaphrodite flake if, you know, the parent led them up and then do snake dyke after that, you know, a few years later. There's a I, lot of dads listening to this shaking their head right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I'm one of them. I think, I mean, it depends on the kid. It depends on so the that, kid, of course. But I Yeah, think, so that's what I'm getting at. Like, but I think also having the, the access. Like, right, right. training in the gym, I was on the youth team for a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people there. And a lot of them are really talented people. And I think 
a lot of people I climbed with, if they had the same upbringing I had, like, I think for sure, like, could have been up there doing stuff. So I think a huge aspect of it is definitely just having the access and having that mm-hmm. support from a young age. And I think another aspect is I do struggle. <laughs> like, it's not, it's, it's definitely not as effortless as it's portrayed. Like, I was talking with this other climber in Squamish this past month, and uh, Nat, and he, he's kind of had a really fast rise where he just started climbing in 2018 and then sent Cobra Crack earlier this year. And his reflection was, uh, you know, he, he's always wondered, like, what it was like to Project 514 when he was starting out climbing. And, you know, after projecting Cobra Crack and doing that, he's like, well, it's the exact same as projecting a 512. This is the same process. The same thing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it just happens to be a harder grade. Um, and I think that definitely rings true with me where, you know, the nose, it was hard for sure, as was, you know, a lot of the other climbs I've done on, of that style. But, you know, the, it's really the same process as, say, an easier route would have been when I was at that level. Trying something near your limit and projecting it, regardless of what the grade is, is a pretty universal process and experience. We started out with talking about the nose and, and how old you were. And, um, and that, that's, you know, it's not necessarily that important in terms of like, oh, he's the youngest person to do such and such. Cause that stuff, I, I'm not really that interested in, in those games. You know, like you, your dad said, well, that's the, you know, maybe the greatest thing he's ever done because you're just getting older. And like, if, you know, if you freeze some El Caprude and you're 25, like, no one's gonna care, but you know what I mean. So it's like it's like too late. But yeah, um, I'm 20. I'm but, all but washed the, up now. Yeah, but <laughs> the real but the real crux of that to me is thinking about what a kid is like when they're 15, generally, and and to think that there's this there's this bit in that film again where your dad's talking about how you 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 know went up on the the great roof pitch and how it's kind of sketchy climbing and and um you know so tell me a little bit more about the 15 year old who had the, if nothing else, had the confidence to, to launch up on something like that. I mean, I, if I was up there and, and had anywhere the skills to, to climb a 514 pitch on El Cap, I mean, I would be nervous when I was 30, when I was 35, when I, you know, when I was in the prime of my climbing, when I was climbing A5 or whatever, I was still like second guess. I thought myself, you said A5 so. doesn't exist. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> burn um <laughs> when i was you know when i was climbing pitches rated a5 all right um by other people but uh um, yeah i'm still here so it can exist right <laughs> or else i wouldn't be here interviewing you i'd be in the grave based on my based on my sort of you know it's like schrodinger's cat or whatever like yeah. if i exist therefore a5 does not exist um anyway <laughs> but so tell me a little bit about that kid yeah. a little more because just to be like grabbing that rack and, and, and heading up on this thing that you know from the stories and the community that's like, you know, just Lynn Hill and all this, yeah. you know, all this stuff. Like what gave you the, well, the chutzpah, the, the, the cajones, you know, to do that? I think. Or to think you could do it. There were, there were several factors, I think. One of them was definitely naivety. I was 15. I would like, you know, any sort of fixed nut, I'd be like, okay, I can clip that. That's okay. It'll hold me. It's basically a bolt. So, you know, the Great Roof, where there's that clip where my dad said, like, he, he gets scared leading it for aiding. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. look at all this fixed gear. I'll just, like, clip that. Just put a draw on it. It's fine. Uh, and <laughs> nothing pulled on me, so I guess it was fine. I guess, you know, being as light as a 15-year-old does that. <laughs> but, I mean, I did do a NIAD earlier this year, and the Great Roof was all, like, wet and no fixed gear on it, and I got scared on that. <laughs> I also didn't have aiders. I was just, like, using normal slings, so it was an experience. But 
I think also a part of it was there were a lot of people that were kind of encouraging me to try it. Like one of the big people was Tommy Caldwell, actually. I think it was like the second day that I was hiking up to wrap in and work changing corners. Um, he and Alex were walking down. That was when they were training for the record. So they had just done like, you know, a casual morning two and a half hour lap or something absurd. And we're hiking down and he could have just seen like at the time I was 14, I probably looked like I was 10. He could have seen that and like, you know, oh, good luck you know, walked down, but he like gave me his beta and was like, yeah, dude, go like try it. And you know, his beta was really, really helpful. And I did all the moves that day. Um, and I think that was really helpful because, you know, you, you're talking about that, you know, growing up in the climbing community and hearing all these stories. Of course, I've, you know, grown up with Tommy Caldwell as one of my heroes. And, you know, when he's telling me this beta and like kind of psyched that I'm all trying it, that just helps the confidence so much. And the same thing happened later that fall. I was just climbing in the gym one day and he was there. I think he was in San Francisco for some event or something. And by then I'd done changing corners clean on top rope a few times. And at that point he's like, oh, dude, you can free the nose because the great roof is way easier and everything else is so much easier than either of those two pitches. You can for sure do it. And I think that was a huge wake up call too, because at the time I didn't really think I would, I was anywhere near doing it. I was like, well, well great. I could do the crux pitch on top rope. Like there's, you know, one pitch down. 30 to go like uh but then he really kind of gave me that confidence because i mean a changing corners is kind of the same difficulty on top rope or lead and then b it's so much harder than anything else on the route that you know really if you can top rope it clean you can do the route it's it's true um, but i don't think i realized that so i think you know that that's kind of what gave me the confidence and you know it definitely wasn't ideal like i don't think i fully internalized that like yes this is a route i can for sure do until like the week before I did it. I mean, I think also there is so much lore about that route that, you know, even trying it five, you know, if I tried it today without having done it back then with all the lore surrounding it, maybe it would have been more intimidating because I'm like older and know more of it now. But yeah, I mean, it's like, again, it's, it's not really the age number Mm -hmm. that matters. It's me thinking about, I mean, even who I was at 15, which I hadn't climbed at all yet. And, you know, I was just like, screwing around wasting time i don't know what i was doing i can't remember um which is you know an important distinction uh, back to what your dad said about like this being one of the you know this great things of your life it it truly will be because i don't remember i couldn't tell you a damn thing i did when i was 15 years old and and you'll never forget this so um it's it's it is pretty cool so so, somewhere in you know you're doing you know you're climbing with your dad or or and climbing with your mom and doing big roots um with your family and stuff like that um when in that whole progression did, you know, sort of peer difficulty and I think you even said in somewhere that I read that there was like grade chasing element to some of your climbing and then this challenge that you put on yourself to do 55 14s um, by your 18th birthday, like where did sort of performance climbing contrasting with your statements about like, well, when there's a, a peak, you just want to be up there. But what about the switch to... um performance climbing and tell me about the community around that i mean climb climb with your mom but who, who else um you know that bay area scene like um you were in it then at jailhouse and things like that so talk a little bit about your peers and, and the other folks you were climbing with yeah so i think it, that was a bit more gradual for me when i wasn't into gym climbing uh, of course i wasn't chasing difficulty but you know eventually i realized oh gym climbing's fun it's something i could do and then naturally i wanted to kind of okay i can climb harder i can do harder things and you know, that was very gradual. And eventually, I think just joining a youth team and having so many other people my age who are really psyched on climbing and 
I can kind of push myself with them. And, you know, the, the team at the time was the Planet Granite team, now the gym's movement. There were a lot of really good climbers there. Like, uh, I think my age, Anthony Lessick, he's, I think he's a month older than me, but like we were in the same age category every year. You know, I was climbing with him a lot. And when I first was climbing, he was like way above my level. And then like, we were kind of, then in competitions, eventually we got to the point where we were going back and forth. And, you know, the older kids, there was Ross Fulkerson, like on the team. And then Tim Kang was there too. And lots of other really strong climbers. And having all these people just on the team that I'm climbing with regularly um, was really, really helpful. And then going to the competitions, just meeting the other kids all around the country was just so helpful. And, you know, at first that, that like, you know, kind of chasing the difficulty that was really just confined to gym climbing because that was where I do difficulty outdoors is more like climbing big mountains and doing cool stuff. But then, you know, eventually I started doing harder stuff outside. I think probably the first place where I was like really starting to try to hard on sport climbs was Maple Canyon, just because it's basically just a gym, like taken outdoors. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, I think the first real number chasing thing I did was trying to do 14 514s at age 14. And then a few years later, I was like, oh, I think I was at like 29 or 30. Um, and I had like a year until I turned 18. I was like, okay, I could do 50, you know, before I'm 18. And it, it worked out. I mean, I, given the amount of planning that went into that, I would not have expected it to work out, but it did. Yeah, I mean, you did a bunch of that. It sounds like um, your mom was like, uh, a pretty important yeah, part of um, sure. getting out to the cliff and belaying you and for sure. doing what needed to be done. Yeah, that, yeah, she, yeah, that was, that was really, really helpful. I mean, even my first 514, she was belaying my something like 20 of the 50 514s were at jailhouse. And most of the time when I was going to jailhouse, I was going with her. I really couldn't go by myself for a while because I didn't have my driver's license. Um, I got my driver's license, I think, less than a week before the DMV closed for COVID. So early, March 2020. And then, you know, it was a year. Or I guess a few months of just not doing anything. And then, so it wasn't really until like, I guess spring 2021 that I was actually like driving by myself to the cliff and climbing with other people. So like all of that climbing up until there, that was with my parents. And if it was sport climbing, most of the time it was with my mom. You know, again, going back to your earlier question, I'm like, oh, how did you do that? What's the secret? I was like, well, a big part was just, you know, having that support. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I just had this like, I just had this moment while you were talking where I was thinking like, Okay, and then we'll we'll like get to the next stage, and and you know as the as the interview progresses, and I'm like, no, dude's only twenty. That was only like two years ago. Like, yeah, you've. I mean, it's just cool. You've packed so much in. Yeah. Um. You know, from those early years to to now, you've you've packed in a ton of. I mean, all the styles of climbing, minus aid climbing, and I think uh, big mountain mountaineering. But as far as rock climbing and free climbing is concerned, you've done you you've packed it all in. So it's just kind of fascinating. But one thing I wanted to ask you about, and this has, I think this is all tied in with, with this, but the choice to pursue some level of professional climbing, you know, you're, you're on this podcast in a lot of ways, be, you know, I worked this out with Adam, your man, athlete manager, friend of yours as well, but at, at Black Diamond, we're the ones who, you know, put it in your ear to come on the show, um, though I would, being a professional climber is certainly not a rec- prerequisite for the show, but I've been thinking about you and, you know, you go to, you, you finished a year at Stanford, your first year last year. Um, you're about to start again. I wanted to get this done before that. We joked about how, um, you know, the door closes on these sorts of things once the, once the quarter starts, like you're doing both things. And I'm like, why, why the, why the professional climbing? Why the notoriety? Why the, um, that support when you have this huge support from your folks? You're, I don't know, what are you studying at 
uh, college have you decided yet or are you uh, messing around? I'm still undeclared, but probably electrical engineering. Yeah. So, you know, you've got this whole other pathway to make a living if you want yeah. to do that. So tell me about this choice. Is it, is it something that's come gradually? Is it, do you have any, any sort of consternation about it or are you just going for it because the opportunities were there? I think it's definitely been pretty gradual. I mean, certainly even before the nose, um, Adam reached out to me about, he was with Petzl at the time and sent me some gear, right. um, right before I did the nose and then I did the nose and then kind of things took off like right, within right. a year. That's what they do though. It's like, yeah. they're like drug dealers. Dude. I think they're like, here's a, a Grigri dude. Here's a, here's a free Grigri. Just remember yeah. where you got this. <laughs> I think within a year I probably had like three or four sponsors. Like it was, it was like really quick. And then, you know, they've changed over time. Now I'm with Black Diamond and La Sportiva and Maxim Ropes. Um, I think same as yeah, a normal right. cast. Yeah, you're right in my finger. wheelhouse, yeah. dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need to get you some Peter Gilroy stuff, a hat or something, and a bag of coffee, and you'd be <laughs> you'd be Mister Normacast. Um, exactly. I like it. Actually, I didn't realize Max. That you, I I did know this, but it hadn't been in my head that you were also yeah. a Maxim guy. But yeah, but um, I think just because the brands, I mean, they're they're really great. They don't really expect that much of me, like, and I think that's kind of what's made it possible. Where it's like, well they're kind of giving me this, you know, a huge resource of like all the support, lots of stuff in exchange for really not that much. And, you know, these are all brands that I respect and I'd be using their gear anyway. Like, you know, whether or not I'm on the Black Diamond team, I'm going to be using the Black Diamond cams because I believe in them. And I, you know, I really like them. I've used them my whole life. You know, same goes for like La Sportiva and Solutions. Uh, you know, I think it's just been really great to work with them so far. And I haven't had any bad experiences yet. I don't know if I will. I mean, maybe probably at some point, who knows? I think it's just worked out for me so far. And they've all also been really understanding of, you know, the whole other world I have with school where, yeah, climbing, it's not everything and that's okay. You know, obviously I really like climbing. I really like school. I want to balance the two as much as I can. I think the deeper I go into my education and the deeper I go into climbing, the harder it gets to balance the two, but I'm going to try mm -hmm. for as long as I can. And I could definitely see scenarios where like I take a year off to climb or, you know, take time to more focus on school. That's about all the thinking I've done about my future. I just gave <laughs> you the TLDR. <laughs> I mean, there has to be some, I mean, go, going to school at the level um, at a place like Stanford, you know, with, with what you're trying to do is, is a pressurized situation. And I know that from your, from the media, from reading about you, um, having talked to you before, that school, um, doing well, um, excelling at at your work at at school, whether it was high school or or uh, college, is super important to you. But what about the pressure valves? Uh, are you are you well equipped for that? Does it? Ha, ha, I mean, you did your first year of school. Were there were there you know dark moments of like I can't do this. I'm I this is too much. Or did you navigate it pretty well? You know, it was definitely not all sunshine and roses. Like it was definitely. Right. Like there, there were definitely harder moments, and there's like holes. There's like yeah. holes in your drywall and your dorm room and stuff. Uh, not quite at that level. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there were times like while the school was in session, uh, you know, there'd be short breaks like spring break or whatever. But I would like almost want to pack in like all the climbing from like the entire quarter just into that one week, and I put a lot of pressure on myself then. And then you know, the school it is tiring too, and I did feel definitely like a little bit more worn out. And I think at the end of spring quarter, just like all the stress was getting up to me. And then like, I ended up getting um, a pretty bad cold, like the week before finals, 
like just barely got better in time for finals but then i was like all stressed from finals and like i think my climbing took a hit for like a solid month where i just like mm-hmm. did not feel like myself at all then it was summer and things kind of yeah you know just things settled down a bit and then it was fine mm-hmm. I, I think the different school has made is that it's just made like has kind of just decreased the overall like available energy i have mm-hmm. to dedicate to climbing so if i have something like you know a cold happens or you know, I have to like, you know, stay up late for an assignment that will like have a much bigger impact on my climbing than mm-hmm. say, um, you know, a cold or staying up late would, you know, during a school break. What about the other parts of, of going to college? I mean, you, do you sacrifice a social life for, for climbing life, uh, you know, bit. or for studying? What's that? <laughs> a bit. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I hang out with friends. I don't really, I'm not like hugely into the party scene. Um mm-hmm. I don't think I really would have time for that, unfortunately. Or fortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wasted a lot of time standing around a keg in college, dude. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, okay. This past spring, I did go to one party. Um, at, <laughs> but I didn't quite make it inside because the house it was at had a tension board out back. Um, and <laughs> I got a tension board session out of it, but <laughs> nice. Didn't quite make it into the party, but that that, that was that was my uh, partying this year. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's awesome. Well, you found a new tension board too. That's awesome. Yeah. Was anybody else sessioning with you? Yeah. Well, so I, I was going with uh, a really close friend of mine from high school uh, who was visiting. And we, we were going to go to the party, but we both like climbing and we both like, right. were like, oh yeah, like we knew about it or I knew about the tension board before. And I was like, oh yeah, check it out. This house has a tension board. And then we just like ended up climbing on it for a few hours. That's a great, that's a great story though. That, yeah. Instead yeah. of the, the, the rager, you, you ended up on the tension board, got a session. Yeah. That's yeah. perfect. It wasn't that's even, how it's done, people. That's it wasn't even a done. full tension board. Like there wasn't the kicker and it was only like two of the three panels. <laughs> It was like two thirds of a tension board, or not even because the the kickboard was gone. So it was like sixty percent of a tension board. Do you know who lived there? Like, yeah, whose tension board is this? No, no, it's outside um, a co op. It's actually the house where I'm oh, living okay. this year. Oh, cool. uh, I'm moving closer to the tension board. Oh, nice, <laughs> awesome. I don't even board climb in the gym. Yeah, fifteen A is just right around the corner, dude. I mean, it's easy to say that, like, oh, you just deal with it, but you know, I think it's a unique situation trying to do both. Yeah. Um, and I think climbers are famous for like ignoring every other part yeah. of their life once they become, you know, a professional climber or, yeah. or start to pursue these things. So, I mean, that also must be coming down a little ways from, from on high with, uh, again, your family support, wanting you to not just be uh, yeah. sort of too single-minded in, in your climbing. Right. And I think I did learn a lot of lessons from freshman year that like a lot of mistakes I made that I'm not going to repeat, a lot of things that went well that I am going to repeat. Um, cause there were other, they were like small things like, you know, last year I didn't have a car on campus. So I was like either taking a ride, um, you know, getting a ride with, uh, my friend Maya, uh, Maya Madera. She's, I think she's living in Colorado now, but she graduated last year, but she's a really intense comp climber. So we would train. And then, um, I would meet my friend, uh, Saul, uh, Solomon Barth. He lives in San Francisco and he's also a super strong comp climber and gym climber and we would train But, um, you know, a lot of the time I was kind of just you know, taking the train to the gym and, you know, learning how to kind of deal with that. And, you know, it takes a bit longer than driving wood and learning how to manage that time was also kind of a, an interesting step. So how serious do you take training? You know, Um, are you not very, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I kind of knew the answer to that, but what does that mean? Uh, you know, you sort of just like ride the coattails of these people who you yeah. who you know how know what they're doing, yeah. and kind of do what they're doing, kind yeah. of a style. Yeah, pretty much. That's <laughs> that's kind of what it is. I uh, I mean, I do. I mean, I go to the gym. I'll climb on the climbs that are there, and Saul and Maya, they both they're both really strong, particularly on the boulders, which is where I'm not very strong. So you know, it's very helpful where like. You know, there'll be a new set. I distinctly remember um, this one new set. It was a new V10 at the gym I climb at, Dogpatch. Um, and I was going to go climb it. But before I even hopped on it, I was there with Saul. And Saul was like, all right. It, the climb had, um, it was like crimps and slopers. And Saul was like, all right, we're skipping all the crimps, slopers only. And I was like, Jesus, dude. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this climb as is, let alone, let alone like without the crimps. But then, you know, I tried it for a bit and then I found out I could do it, which I think that kind of thing was just really, really helpful. You know, it's something that I wouldn't have tried, but um, just having like someone to climb with someone who has different strengths than I do, it both like increases motivation and makes me try things that I wouldn't try otherwise. I mean, the more I do this podcast, it's almost like part of it gets me more confident in training and part of sometimes it makes me think that like none of it matters really. Like it, do you know what I mean? Like, cause I talk to people who, who come from both worlds and, and you know, as someone who's never been that serious about training and, and it kind of didn't exist for most of my climbing career other than, you know, a backer ladder or some pull-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, when I hear the person that's like not that in training, um, it, it, I'm like, hooray. But then I think about it and I'm like, he's, he, he goes and he climbs hard in the gym and he, and, and tries hard. And, um, but I mean, do you spend time on campusing? Do you spend time on all the, tra- any of the traditional stuff or is it just really, like just going to the gym and climbing hard not with you. Really. Yeah. Not really. I mean, I like I have, but I, I don't have a routine. I don't really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah, not really. I mean, I think another thing I've noticed is there's a huge difference because the training, training in the gym makes me strong for gym climbing, which doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. translate to outdoors. Well, mm-hmm. actually, there were some times this year where I actually felt like really, really strong in the gym, but then like I would go climbing outside and would not feel that good. And on the converse, I don't think I've had a single gym session where I felt strong this summer. And I've been super psyched with how my outdoor climbing has been. You know, probably a lot of that was because of the gym climbing I've been doing in the past year, but also it doesn't necessarily translate perfectly. It's interesting. I just had this a sort of conversation with somebody um, just the other day about about that exact thing because our gym here actually just closed, oh, uh, really? which is a shame. Yeah. So we've got, we had a bouldering gym here, the monkey house in it. Oh, and that we one just closed? All got, yeah, yeah, just wow. like a few days ago, got the email, oh like we're Dunsky. Yeah, and I've got this um, local cliff with, uh, I've got a rope up in there, you know, to do kind of a circuit on, and it's like this kind of scabby granite, um, mm. but, you know, good bits here and there. And um, I just was like remarking about how, even if I'd been, I was climbing in the gym a whole lot, when I would go out there the next day or the, you know, the days after I go out and do sort of my circuit out there, I feel like way more worked and worked in this whole like different way. Yeah. And then, and the other thing I realized is, and I don't climb, you know, super hard in the gym, but I feel like this setting, wherever you go, they may try not to do this, but they, it's like kind of bad business to put awkward movement on a, on a, in a climbing gym. Like people, get kind of upset like you know there's going to be a foothold like generally in the sort of zone that you kind of want or the movement's going to kind of fit together in your head and like climbing on this scabby granite the the rock forces you to do things that i think 
gyms are just not willing to kind of force people to do and in, in, in terms of discomfort on certain holds i mean mm -hmm. you know stuff like that so it's just it is interesting how it's like kind of i don't necessarily have an opinion on it but i was like just discussing it with a friend about like does it how much of it does really translate are yeah. you just training to get better on plastic i mean i guess general fitness is yeah. general fitness though it's interesting though because you know hearing you describe that the way you described outdoor climbing kind of is a, almost a bit reminiscent of comp climbing where, you know, comp climbing, there isn't always a foothold where you want it. The setters oh, do right. set awkward positions because they don't have to like, you know, appeal to a general clientele. Um, sure. Which is kind of funny because I feel like the common almost narrative we hear is like, oh, gym cl comp climbing is nothing like outdoor climbing. But I think in some regards it is. I mean, at least the probably my best comp results have been like right after I've just been outdoor climbing. So I tell myself that. <laughs> How were you as a competitor? Depending on the comp. Some comps I would do pretty well. You know, I did win a few youth nationals. Um, I mean, I had a really, really strong year. So it was like youth nationals was pretty brutal. Like I I was always the same year as uh, Colin Duffy. So I was okay. always competing with him and uh, Xander Waller. And they were just so many really strong people, which, you know, it made, it made it really fun. It was super motivating to like try to be at that level. I mean, there were comps where I did you know pretty well and my very last youth competition was youth worlds last fall and actually on one of the qualifying routes i got high point and unfortunately i didn't make finals uh had a bit of a slip in semis but you know i feel like i the ability is there but almost the motivation to train and you know put in all the time for the comps is almost not where i'm thinking like well would i rather like put in all this energy to go potentially do well at like say nationals or something or would i rather go like do something cool outside and for me, I kind of choose the latter. Yeah, the answer is somewhat clear that, that you choose the latter. So, you know, a moment ago you talked about how, you know, school was was a drag a little bit on your climbing, on your psych, and then but then this summer it came together. So let's talk a little bit about that because um, that's kind of the most recent news. And um, But before we get to this, like, tear that you went on in Squamish, there was some mention in something that I read that, you had sort of a disappointing spring, um, you know, going to any Creek a little bit. Yeah. And, and um, like what I kind of want to know is, is, and you just kind of hinted at it, but what does that sort of look like? What happens when you, when you're like stuck in a rut and, and you're having kind of a tough moment and not reaching your goals? Like yeah. what's your reaction just well, as your personality is concerned? I think a lot of it is like, I can kind of, I think, a lot of like what I was saying earlier where I had like super high expectations for the Indian Creek trip where I was like, oh, haven't been, you know, doing that much climbing all quarter, but I've been training. I'm going to be in great shape. It's going to be so fun. Like I'm going to send everything. And like on an absolute scale, like the trip wasn't that bad. Like I did, I think I sent Air Sweden, maybe second go. And I think I did, um, I think I onsided like Ruby's Cafe. But, you know, I really wanted to, for instance, I, I really wanted to do Carbondale Short Bus and like it felt super doable, but I would like, I think my best go, my foot slipped like really high up. And, but then what would happen is I would like, you know, have this go kind of a frustrating go, get frustrated. And then my next go, I'd be a bit more aggressive. And then that's just a recipe for a foot slip on something technical like that. And then it would just kind of perpetuate. It was just, that was happening a lot where like, I had a lot of like really near, like there were a lot of times, I guess this spring where I was like really close to doing something. I think there was like, I'm not much of a boulder. I haven't done anything harder than V12. But then this spring, I actually was fell on kind of the last move of a V14 and Bishop. And then like, you know, I was psyched to get that close. But then like, ultimately, all those like, you know, getting really close to doing something and then not quite doing it, it adds up a bit. Um, mm -hmm. So kind of 
does like take a bit of a hit on the like confidence where you know i was going to squamish and like i was like i, you know, I, was, I was psyched for the trip i was super psyched to check out a new area but i was also a little bit apprehensive where i was like well am i gonna send anything you know, tell my friend I was going and he's like, oh, you're going to have a field day. It's going to be sick. And I was like, uh, maybe, I don't know. Like, I haven't been climbing that strong lately. We'll see. But then almost having no expectations was better. And actually, like the first week of the Squamish trip, I didn't do anything. Yeah, but just a new area. It's a new I area. I mean, had, yeah, you kind of dropped into the creek, though, in a hurry, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, I think I had like I mean, it was a short, days, like, maybe. And try to sort of bang out all the hardest pitches. Um, but I'm, I was just kind of like... I guess I was sort of like fishing for a weakness in a way because, you know, just like, do you throw tantrums? Do you mope? Do you call your mom? Like what, 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 oh, you can't down there. Um, but like, what, yeah. what does it look like when, when Connor's is disappointed or, or like on sort of a, a kind of a low swing in, in, in your climbing? Maybe a lot of things definitely get very frustrated. Like, right. And I try not to be, but chucking wobblers and yeah. throwing things. Not, not quite throwing the things. Not, not quite that level. <laughs> <laughs> Tried throwing my shoes maybe 2019. But I remember I like threw it and then it was like really hard to get it back. <laughs> so I was like, nah. <laughs> not worth doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with rage. A lot of times you have to pay for it afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> especially when you know it comes with jail time or something um oh not even close uh, to that yet yeah, yeah but yeah so you turned it on in in squamish and i mean whatever i could bring up the article and there was like a litany of of uh of hard sends um you know tell me about one or two of these things or maybe explain the trip as best you can and i'd like to talk about doing the second ascent of um of didier's route as well oh yeah 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 i mean i think you know, when I was going into Squamish, kind of like the main thing was like, oh, dude, I, I want to do Cobra. Like, mm-hmm. it's just such a legendary climb. It's an amazing crowd climb. And, you know, the one thing I, one of the thing, you know, one of the kind of few things that I did send that I was proud of this spring was um, I on-sighted Cosmic Debris in Yosemite. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I think your crack climbing is pretty good right now. Like, I'm psyched. I'll go, like, see if I could do Cobra. And, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know, like, how hard it was going to be, really. And um the first day i got on it it was like a beat down where i like went up and i was like oh i'm gonna give a flash go see how far i get did not get very far and like you know i found out i couldn't fit my middle finger into that mono hold i could fit like my index finger or my ring finger but it just felt like nasty if i was gonna like rip my finger off i was like i I didn't want to do that and then eventually i just found a way to like fully skip that hold then it was way more manageable and i was like so much more psyched on it too and then i guess the first send of the trip was tainted love i actually sent it on my 20th birthday so i was like what's that what's that route tell, tell us tainted love it. is a 13d stemming corner um up like at the top of the chief uh that mm-hmm. it's uh it was put up by i think hazel oh right and mm-hmm. it's like very technical stemming physically not the most heinous but that's kind of the nature of stemming corners where it's just like your legs get flamed and super pumped and the feet are really bad and anything could slip at any time. Um, and you're climbing over like small RPs. And I guess maybe that was kind of the reason why I was like, why that kind of let me forget, you know, the all this like, almost like this like baggage I had from the spring where I was just like kind of scared on small RPs and just kind of kept climbing and, you know, said that. Which actually that's a fun fact about um, my climbing is I've never whipped on a nut that I placed myself. Yeah, I read that little <laughs> 
tidbit yeah. uh, before coming on this. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But, um, but I guess in, in some ways, I mean, stuff so fixed yeah. uh, on the, on El Cap and stuff yeah. that, that, yeah. I mean, but if there's a nut, never, there's, but you did now, did you take some whips on no. some nuts? No, no, still you haven't. still haven't. I still haven't. <laughs> I mean, the Tainted Love was RPs, but I like I worked on like, top rope. You know, when you're as good as you are, that's part of the, you get to never oh. fall on things. Oh, it's a matter of time. It's a matter of time. I guarantee. <laughs> like, Is your dad like, you're no son of mine. <laughs> no, he's psyched on cams. Okay. Like, I don't think I placed any nuts on the nose. Right. Oh, um, right. And I have placed a bunch of nuts. Right. Just not on the nose. It's uh, yeah. And, I mean that's all yeah. scarred out and stuff too. It's hard to but I mean it's funny because it's becoming this lost art in a lot of ways yeah. for sure. Um so but that's pretty funny. Yeah. Um But yeah, I mean and then so I ended up doing Tainted Love, my first mm-hmm. lead attempt, and I uh and that kind of felt like I was like, Oh, I can send stuff. And then I think it was like maybe a week later I did Cobra. Wouldn't wouldn't it have sucked if you'd have like onsided that though? But you said you went up on like your onside attempt. Wouldn't it have been a bummer? Untainted Love, gonna give it a flash go, but yeah. I mean, I, there was no chance, really. Okay, yeah. It, it but I'm just saying, if something like that gave it up, gave itself up, you know, like without a fight, I guess it'd be cool. You'd be like would, psyched, but I'd be psyched about that one because it's like such a yeah. legendary climb. But also, like, totally. <laughs> as long as there's kind of something else like it to spend more time on, mm-hmm. you know, as long as there's still that crack of destiny up there to go right. up. And, is that is that um the crack of destiny? That's that's DDA's route. Yeah, right? that's DDA's one. Yeah, and um, I mean, did was that on your radar like yeah. before you were heading up there? Yeah, I saw on Instagram that while he the sent it, was good. and like yeah. it just looked incredible. Yeah, um, totally. And like I got up there, and actually when I did Tainted Love, it's Tainted Love is maybe like fifty feet to the left of it, and I actually did the kind of original version of the crack of destiny, which is um. North Star, it's a 13B crack where you basically climb like a 511 plus or maybe 12A corner into like a hard exit boulder. And Crack of Destiny is just this really striking line just left of it. And so the day I did Tainted Love, I also did North Star. And I just remember like looking at it and I was like, oh my God, this thing looks even better than the photos. I mean, what the photos don't show is that the line is maybe 30 degrees overhung, right. that crack. And it's like, I thought it was kind of vertical, but just like tips. But it's 30 degrees overhung. You can get like pretty good finger locks in it, but there's like no feet. Um, it's really cool. It's definitely one of the best cracks I've seen. Yeah, it's 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 wild. I mean, um, I have sort of an old relationship with Didier and mm-hmm. talked to him right when he, he kind of came, uh, you know, showed up in Canada. And, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I start seeing that pictures of that crack and I'm like, how did that not get climbed like I was thinking or the same thing. had people been trying it it was it like an old somebody's old project or anything because i mean i was because that that's also i had that same thing i'm like well it must be in some like obscure corner thing uh and then i found out that no it's right up there with all those roots yeah and i'm like what happened yeah i kind of had the same reaction lazy canadians <laughs> well i had the same reaction <laughs> then um later that trip i was um i got to climb with Sonny Trotter a bit which was uh-huh. a really cool experience and I asked him about that and he said that you know when the route hadn't been done and I think it was because it was this crack like right next to the classic and it's like everyone's seen it and I mean it was like nah it doesn't go um which is kind of a weird reaction because there was like pretty good finger locks um right. I guess the crack does kind of get thinner at the end it goes into tips 
And what Sonny said is that he and um, Will Stanhope had been trying this kind of direct exit where you don't do the, um, like, really the tips section, um, and then kind of broke key hold on it, and then kind of assumed that the tips section wouldn't go. But hmm. um, there are locks there, and you kind of do this karate kick to get in the corner, and then, uh, you know, finish up North Star, and you still have to do that boulder at the end, the V7. Some people say it's V8. And I did fall up there once from the ground. Like, it's that boulder's full on. I think the Squamish community was kind of blown away. Was everybody supportive? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, one of my favorite parts about visiting Squamish was the community there. Like, the climbing community at Squamish is amazing. There were, some, there were like, so many people I climbed with. I, mean, I could list names. Um, you know, Nat, uh, I climbed with Ben, Harden, um, Connor, who actually uh, also sent... Um, also sent Spirit Quest the uh, 14D, the Sport 14D I did. Um, so it's had two ascents by Connors. 40, I think nice. 40% of the Ascensionists have been named Connor. Um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, there's so many people, like, and they, they're just all so nice. And they were, like, really supportive. And it was just really cool to, like, you know, for that one month, almost be, like, a part of that community. Or just They were, they were just super nice. They weren't, like, oh, kid from out of town. Do you ever like, well, let me, I don't know how to put this, but um, I, th- I mean, actually, I think Empath was probably a, a case where, where there was like maybe a little bit of questioning of like what the grade was going to all be about. I think we talked to you about that mm-hmm. on the run out. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you, do you get into that game of like wanting to correct grades if you, you know, is a nicer way to put downgrading or anything like that? I mean, it's, it's interesting that a lot of times you send these, these sort of hard, or these climbs that have a very high grade have a have a kind of a strong reputation. You know, Tainted Love was, you know, uh, there's a great video about it with Hazel, and and it appears to be somewhat you know scary with the small gear and stuff like that. Um, and going back to something I said earlier in the interview, like I don't want to say it's easy for you because it's it's a culmination of a lot of work and and who you are as a climber and everything else. But you know, to have that kind of tear that you did in in Squamish. I think probably makes some people go, well, what, how hard are these routes really? Are Is it, do you, I mean, do you ever get involved in that? Do you ever have that, um, people asking you those kind of questions? I mean, people do ask a lot, but I feel like a lot of the time, I feel like I only really try to get involved if it's like, you know, something like new beta, like on Empath or, uh, right. if it's safe. You started jam, just to put that in perspective, it was a bolted climb, um, I mean, it appeared for the first Ascensionist Carlo to be a lot of slapping, a lot of yeah. open-handed holds and things like that. And uh, you ended up jamming a whole bunch of it. Yeah. And then finally leading it on gear. Yeah. Um, and skipping all the bolts. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just to put that in perspective. And that, yeah, I mean, there was some talk around that about like, well, what's the difference? And how, is it harder when you play gear? Is it easier? Those sorts of things. Yeah. But um, yeah, go yeah. go ahead. I just wanted yeah. to put that in and I think, context. Yeah. And I think the only other time when I really like, think about the grade is if it's like a first or second ascent or like on the crack of destiny and then more recently blackbeard's tears those are both second ascents so those ones i feel like i wanted to kind of have you know think a bit more about just because you know you only really have one person maybe they weren't doing Mm -hmm. optimal beta maybe like conditions were different maybe holds broke you know when the route's like really early in that stage uh the grade can go all over it was it is kind of funny because people were asking like you know what did you think of the grade of cobra for instance and that one like i feel like I didn't think anything about it because uh, I almost just assumed that route growing up. I was like, okay, that is what like the quintessential 14B trad line, like that is the standard mm-hmm. to which all other 
you know, sure. potential 14B trad line should be compared to. So, like, I never even, like, considered for a second what the grade would be. And it was funny, like, getting some of those questions because I was like, well, I haven't thought about it at all. Like, I thought that was just the definition of 14B crack. And there's not like there's a lot of them. I mean, we've remarked on on uh, this podcast, too. It's like 514 pure trad lines. It's not like jailhouse where there's a whole sector of, mm. of 514 you know, sport climbs all right next to each other. It's like you got to go around and yeah. go around the world really to find these yeah. these trad lines that are that hard that are truly all gear or mostly gear um, yeah. sort of trad lines. It's it's kind of interesting. So it's a rarefied world of of comparing this 14B to another 14B trad line. You'd have to maybe switch countries or yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's it's an, I mean, it's kind of this funny game to play in a lot of ways because they're <laughs> you're operating with just only a few people. There's so little to compare it to, yeah. And I think yeah. it's just because, you know, for a crack to form that's like hard enough to be four, you know, 514 but like still be possible, it's just really rare. No, it's it's really funny because like you know, again this summer I did I think three like mid 514 cracks. I'm probably not going to do, you know, that many in such a short period of time ever again just because it's hard to do. It's hard to find that many like in a mm-hmm. close enough vicinity. You know, it was, it was nice for like Crack of Destiny when I was thinking about the grade there because, you know, that one, it was a second ascent and DDA. I think he just gave it 514. He didn't really specify. Right. Um, so it was really nice to compare that to Cobra. You know, it's nice to have that as a bit of a benchmark. Did you hang out with DDA at all? No, I never met him. You know, wh- one thing I've noted is a lot of really good climbers and someone, you're again in this, this very small world of, of pursuing hard, basically like almost like sport trad, right? is what I kind of call it. Like, you know, if you want to talk about tradition, tradition meant ground up on siding originally. And like, mm-hmm. so we've morphed this into placing gear on a hard single pitch climb, you know, maybe, but you approach it like a sport climb yeah. in a lot of ways, like try it, you know, empath you'd climbed on the bolts beforehand, right. you know, so then you switch over to that. So it's, it's a whole different, you know, like the true tradsters of 20 years ago would like roll their eyes at you. Yeah. But well, I mean, the, oh, go ahead. What? The three I did this summer, I didn't. I never worked on top rope. The um, okay, I guess cool. The Cobra, Crack of Destiny, and Blackbridge series. I didn't work those on top rope at all. But that's just because it was so. They were all so overhung, and the gear was so good that I was working it like a sport. Right. Route. I was hang dogging. All the hardest yeah. gear routes in the world are like that. I, I mean, totally. But even what you're doing, even doing that, you know, Cobra Crack's been been repeated a number of times. But people who are are going around the world or around the country looking for these ki- ty- types of climbs. It's a, it's a pretty small group of people. But one thing that, that, you know, you're in this phase of climbing is going and finding these routes and repeating them. Um, you know, you mentioned Cobra Crack, like, you know, growing up and watching, you know, like Mason's video of it yeah. and even Didier with the famous, like his famous yell as he take, takes the big whipper off of it and stuff like that. And so it's a scary whip. Yeah, you're you're finding these roots and repeating them. Like uh, obviously, you know, the next phase is to to be a first ascensionist. Yeah. Like, where does that fit into your climbing? H- have you done first ascents? Is it something that you sort of see yourself doing? Oh, I mean, for sure. At this point, you have to go to the ends of the earth. Um, I was just reading about Pete Whitaker's, like up in these places up in Norway or yeah, Sweden. that wall I think looks Sweden. amazing. That that wall yeah. that wall in Norway, like in that Norway, also yeah. has recovery drink. And, right. Yeah. That, yeah. Love to go there. I think I was. I actually had plans yeah. to go there this summer, but it kind of fell through. But yeah, I mean, I definitely like to do more FAs. I've done a few. Um, I've mm-hmm. done. I mean, a few at Jailhouse, but those were kind of link ups. You know, there were two in Tuolumne I did that. Um, it was the um, 
the Pirates Code, which I just did last fall, which was uh, it was this old line that um, Mason Earl and Ben Ditto bolted and started working, but then they, you know, Mason got sick. They decided to open it up, and I finished that one up. That one was hard, super fun, um, like an amazing line. And then uh, the year before that, I put up this line on Drug Dome Kilogram. That um, I think I gave it fourteen minus. It's like it's like a full seventy meter pitch. You do like I think a, maybe like a fifty meter face with like fifteen bolts, and then um, go out this roof crack and up there. And you know, I put all I bolted all those fifteen bolts, hand drilling every single one of them. It was a lot of work. Um, it was really cool. That was such a fun experience. And I mean, I'd I'd love to do more first ascents. Um, that's definitely on the radar. And I think right now I'm not thinking like, oh, I have to do first ascents. Right. It's more like, oh, if I come across a line that's really sick, I'm going to try that. Yeah, but it's like what I was sort of getting at. I mean, I guess like Empath was found pretty recently. Yeah. Um, they're out there, but it's like, it's almost like a full-time job just to be that kind of ex- explorer. Yeah. Um, you know, who's, who's going to all these different places and, and basically looking, which is why I brought up like the fact that, that, you know, Pete's moved. I mean, he was in, you know, the UK before, so mm-hmm. he definitely had to get out of there. But, um, but, you know, he had to move to Norway to find like these places where he could like push the limits of the, of the, the, the sort of trad yeah. free climbing. But I, think there's I mean, what do you think about like finding, Oh, there is. That's what I was going to ask oh, in you. The Sierras, like, what do you think least. about finding the Sierras and, and Tuolumne yeah. and, and uh, places like that? Yeah, I think the Sierras have a lot of potential. And I, I've actually even like, even in Squamish, which has had so much route development, talking to locals, I know at least like three projects that are like really amazing looking and like, you know, would be really hard. Jacob um, Cook's done them since you, uh, <laughs> since we started this podcast, he actually did all three of those, I'm sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure we'll find more. <laughs> Have to keep it quiet. That guy gets after it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think while I, while we were in Squamish, I think he put up some Alpine one up there that looked really good. Yeah, that big one up above. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. There's um, in the Sierras, like I think just all the hardest ones that are there right now are just close to roads. Um, right. And I think that's why they're there. But I mean, I've talked a lot with like Carlo Traversi and. He's really good friends with Jimmy Webb, and apparently Jimmy Webb will just like do like you know whole like twenty mile days just walking like all over and just finds like classic boulder after classic boulder after classic boulder, and like sure there are probably more classic boulders than like classic long cracks out there, but mm-hmm. you know there's surely there's more to be found. I, I I don't doubt that there are plenty more really hard king lines in the Sierras. I mean, what I was sort of getting at with the the trad sport is that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, again, this label of trad climbing in tradition, mm-hmm. you know, where it comes from, obviously, it, it basically comes with like built in limitations. Yeah. And I think that like what's interesting and what's probably why you're probably right about this is because each, if not generation, even years, even like a few years, the, the approach to it and the eyes for what could be climbed in that style changes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think things that people have walked by and in, in the case of, of this route in Squamish, like looked at and said, Oh no, that's impossible. Or it peters out or whatever. Like, you know, someone like you who has the experience to, to know what can be done can look at something and, and decide that, no, that's totally possible. And it becomes, it becomes a route. You know, this whole other thing is like right after doing empath, I was thinking like, Oh, what other bolted routes could go on gear? And I think there's a huge difference between that and like finding this crack and being like, Oh, I can go right. climb that on gear. 
my reaction to the crack of destiny might have been slightly different just knowing that it had been done uh um, sure no no second ascent is yeah is, yeah i mean it's, it makes it's, a huge difference because yeah it's it's been it, yeah. the vision has been realized somebody did it yeah. so i can do it or it's, whatever yeah. yeah or just it's climbable period mm-hmm. yeah so you've decided to pr- pursue some level of professional climbing is that does that sit well with the family and as long yeah. as you keep at the other things yeah i mean i think my family has been very supportive i think if I chose to be a full-time professional climber, I'm sure they'd be supportive. I'm sure they would also, you know, strongly encourage me to think hard about that decision and think about the long term, not just the short term. It does, you know, come in some places where a lot of my peers have been, especially this summer, like getting internships and research positions and just other jobs. Um, and I didn't do any of that. I just went and climbed, <laughs> which, you know, that's something that maybe I wouldn't have done without the sponsorships and without the, um, you know, whole professional side. Uh, but I'm glad I was able to have the opportunity to do that because it was really, really fun. And yeah, my parents were supportive of that. And I think through their eyes, just having, I guess, having the sponsorships was almost like a rationalization to keep climbing where I was like, well, I have a job this summer, right? It's just to climb and have fun. But at the same time, it's I don't want- a summer want... job. Exactly. It's, a, but... it's like a kick-ass summer job. <laughs> exactly. It's like the best summer job. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want, at the same time, like I do have trepidations with making like, you know, the sport I love so much, something I have to do. Um, right. But I think right now where my sponsorships are at, the companies I work with are very, very understanding and they're very like very supportive of kind of the decisions I take. You know, there's this em- empty nester thing, right? Um, and you don't, you don't have any younger siblings. No. So you were the last one out of the house. Yeah. But also it means that you probably haven't been climbing with your folks as much as you always did. Do you miss it? But I mean, I still do climb with them a good amount. Um, oh, when cool. I went. Actually, like a few little over a week ago, when I went up um, and did Blackbeard stairs up at the promontory, um, I, I went up with my mom, and she belayed me on that. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird because the Squamish trip, like the first half, I was with my parents, and then they flew home, and then I, uh, I just kind of kept stayed there and kept climbing, and it was it was kind of a cool experience of like, you know, I felt like I was you know I was sleeping on a forest service road, like kind of, you know, I felt, you know, maybe I wasn't the full dirt bag, but I felt a bit more like it. <laughs> Um, kind of feel like I was getting that experience a little bit. It wasn't quite dumpster diving for food, but I think I still climb with my parents enough that it's not like something I'm missing. Uh, but I'm also just climbing a lot more with other people. Did you sort of learn anything specific from from that experience this summer? Um, I think well, I learned a lot because I climbed with a lot of different people, and I learned a mm-hmm. lot from all of them. Like, um, I was climbing a lot with. Uh, at the start of the Squamish trip, I was climbing a lot with Brent uh, Bargon, um, which was really, really fun because he's just so good at any sort of like trad style, like stemming, crack climbing, and there's just so much to learn. And then like when I was on Crack of Destiny, I think the day I said I was up there with uh, Nat Bailey and uh, Ben Harnden, both of which are badass climbers. They both done Cobra Crack. They both, you know, they're both really, really good. But it was just the energy there was like, it was just great. And like, they kind of made the experience just so fun where like, I think it was like the session before I sent, I was up there with Nat um, and I, f- you know, got through the crack and then fell on this face boulder exit that I had done before. And, you know, just the energy that was there that day, like, like I felt like normally I would just be like super pissed, like, you know, oh, I like messed it up, whatever. But I, we were just psyched to be there and it was just a really fun day. Um, even if I did fall high. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, climbing with I also I was climbing with Sonia I think he played me on the side of spirit quest and that was just so fun like it was just so cool because 
you know, growing up, Sonny's been a hero of mine and then getting to like climb with him. And yeah, it, it was just such a fun experience. And then even Blackbeard's Tears, I think my first few sessions on it, I was working with both Nat and uh, Carlo Traversi climbing with different people every time. It's just like, you learn so much from each person. And then when you get to climb with a lot of different people, you learn so many new things. All right, folks, thanks for listening. And thanks to Connor for connecting from his folks' house out there in California. And uh, that was kind of an interesting tidbit about him never falling on a nut he's placed, right? I mean, track climbing is like the last bastion of the olds. Now the kids are ruining that too. Get off my lawn, Connor Herson. Get off my trad lawn. <laughs> that I cut with a pair of rusty clippers I bought at Royal Robbins' yard sale in 1977. But anyway, you can follow Connor Herson at Connor.Herson on Instagram. His Instagram's pretty good. But the kids are abandoning Instagram to the olds as well. Have you noticed that? Hopefully they'll abandon social media altogether before it's too late. But thanks for following me, EnormaCast. And I hope you're getting out there in this nice weather, having a good time, and of course, checking your knots. pretty good and I'm not uh, not scared at all I just feel kind of feel kind of invincible me too I got a very positive attitude about this good me too yeah it's getting hot in here is it just me